Welcome to the Spindrift Podcast. I'm Aoife, and every episode I'm joined by a different guest from the world of cycling to delve into their stories and share their experiences. So you might hear from anyone from an elite athlete to an industry insider or from an everyday rider with a great story to share to a community advocate who's making a difference in the world of cycling. Spindrift is all about sharing different perspectives and diverse voices. This episode, I'm joined by Dr. Fiona Spotswood, an academic from the University of Bristol who is currently researching women's perceptions of mountain biking, and the insights she's discovered so far are fascinating. If you enjoy this episode, I would absolutely love it if you spread the word, so please consider telling a friend, colleague or family member about the Spindrift podcast. In the meantime, enjoy. So joining me online now is uh, Fiona Spotswood or Fee Spotswood. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming along. Coming along. Thank you for, for joining me for a chat this evening. Um, Fee, you're an academic, a mountain biker, but how, how would you describe who you are and what you do? Um, good question. So yeah, I'm an academic. I'm a researcher um, in marketing and consumption in a business school. But I'm a mum as, as well and, um, and a mountain biker, have been for a very long time. And I run a, a children's mountain bike club and like to do mountain biking, talk about mountain biking, research mountain biking. <laughs> Generally, it's not far from my mind. Right, mountain biking, do mountain right, biking, right have mountain biking, biking adventures. <laughs> That's it. Yes. All of the above. Um, so we're going to have a little bit of a talk about, first of all, like how you got into mountain biking, what mountain biking means for you and how that's changed. Um, I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about riding with kids as well um, and the the joys and the, the trials of doing that. But I also, I really, really want to talk about your current research, which is, and if I've got the title correctly, it's looking at women's perceptions of mountain biking. What's the official research title? The official research title is, um, we call it Project Fierce, Fostering Inclusive Action Sport. And yeah, we're, we're, we spent a long time trying to unpick how women who mountain bike feel about mountain biking and, and whether they feel like they're part of the culture, but also trying to understand how the cultural kind of perceptions of the, of the sport itself are, are being created by marketing and media. So it's a, it's, there's lots of different sides to the project. And you've uh, done research for that from study. You've gone out and spoken to lots of women who work in mountain biking. You've spoken to people in the industry as well to sort of get their the questions that they want to know answers to or want to know information on um, and, and sort of just get the lay of the land. And there's more work coming again in the future. So we'll get on to that in a moment. But first of all, I want to sort of backtrack because you are clearly, clearly so passionate about mountain biking. When did that all begin? When when did you get the mountain biking bug? Um, uh, not until my mid to late 20s. Um, I'm, a, I'm a definite latecomer. And I was a sporty, very sporty and loved um, outdoor sport, particularly running. And I'd done a bit of road biking. I was way better at road biking than I was at running, but I loved running in the hills. And so I loved the idea of mountain biking. And, and like many women, I was introduced to mountain biking by a male friend and I was rubbish and I found it incredibly <laughs> difficult. The first ride I ever did was in the Quantox and he took me down some ridiculous steep descent and I cried and threw my bike at him, told him he was a wanker and I never let him forget it. He's a very good friend to this day. Um, and it was and it was horrible. But gradually I overcame those those fears and had some skills coaching or skills coaching and just just absolutely fell in love with mountain biking. And I was always aware that it was my true love. So I do lots of other sports as well. I lift weights and I do um, you know road biking, gravel biking, running, all sorts of things. But uh, mountain biking is the, the closest sport to my heart and always will be. Why is that? What is it about mountain biking that sort of just just connects with you? You know, we think about this all the time, don't we? We write about it. We talk about it. It's for me, it's um, escape. I love disappearing off into the wilderness. I love the fact that you can travel a very long way on a bike. And that was always something that I had right from the beginning. So my first ever mountain bike event race was a 12 hour race. Didn't occur, wow. didn't occur to me that that was weird. And my second, and I'd been riding a bike for three months. And my second ever mountain bike race was the Trans Wales, which was seven days. 
And I did seven consecutive years of seven day stage races because that's what I just absolutely loved. I love the idea that you can jump on your bike and explore the hills, the mountains and just disappear. And that's definitely my main driver. And a very, very close second is the people. And I've met the most fantastic, amazing souls through mountain biking. And it's never a relationship based on bikes. It's a relationship that happens on bikes. It's, it's true, true friendships. And I'm sure the same happens with running. And again, I've got great friends I've, that I've met through running. And we've, we've had similar experiences disappearing off into the hills on two feet in, in very similar ways. But it's get, it gets under your skin in a way that, um, you know, lifting weights in a gym will just never do. <laughs> and, I mean, I also like lifting weights. I need to do mm. more of that. But, but there is just something about it. And there's something about doing it under your own steam. Like you feel like there's so many like motivational moments for life as well. Like once you've got yourself over something that scares you, for example, you're like, oh, I can I can do this. I can I'm physically, mentally and emotionally capable of putting my through myself through something that's a bit scary and then achieving something at the end of it. And it's great for that, for that, not necessarily instant gratification. You know, I'm not a natural at like throwing myself off stuff. Um, and the first time I did a long distance ride, I haven't done anything quite quite as impressive as you, Fee. I, I rode from London to Lyme Regis over several days, I should add. And I was like, oh my God, I've got myself. I've got yeah. myself here, not on a train, yeah. not on a car. I've literally moved yeah. my own body and this bike, this distance. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. I love it. Absolutely love it. And the, the travelling is really special. I totally agree with you about the sense of achievement as well. And actually pretty much all the women that we interviewed for the for the research project you mentioned said the same thing. And they, and they talked about mountain bike as this sort of symbol for life and it wasn't frivolous but I'm sure from the outside it feels very frivolous that we feel so passionate about this sort of ch- slightly childish sport kind of chucking ourselves around the woods on two wheels but actually the women talked to me about you know mountain biking's taught me that I'm capable of way more than I ever thought possible and you know absolutely every single ride I come back from I feel better about being a human and it's wonderful and then the traveling is another layer to it and I aspire to these you know doing these super long bikepacking trips it's not easy for me at the moment because I got three small children but they weren't available they weren't around so much when I was doing lots of racing it was more the kind of going around in circles doing 24-hour racing and I kind of always knew that that wasn't really for me because I did adventure racing which was multi-sport and multi-day and that appealed a lot more but it's it's less accessible but the mountain biking you know I love the fact that I could just it just felt so simple jumping on your bike and keep riding keep pedaling for 24 hours and that's all you have to do <laughs> so it's not it's not complicated really and now I love I love these bike packing events that are cropping up these rallies and they just appeal so much as a simple way of hanging out with cool people and seeing how far you can go on your bike <laughs> yeah there's there's loads and loads more of them yeah. happening that there seems to be more and more of them pushing from that grassroots element and from from the women's perspective as well so you've got mm. these groups springing up like sisters in the wild that are and the sort of the commute women's rallies as well which mm. are sort of really encouraging and providing opportunities for more women to try this out I mean, has the scene changed in that way much? I mean, you were saying that you used to do like more 24-hour races and now it's Mm. like, no, seven days, that's what I want to do. (laughs) When I first started mountain biking, it was 24-hour racing and seven-day racing. So I did the Trans Wales... And the Trans, I didn't do the Trans Scotland. They only happened once because I went to, to the Canadian Rockies and did the Trans Rockies. And they, <gasps> oh my God, that must have been amazing. It was amazing. It was great. Um, and I, stage racing is super fun because it's just like a party slash holiday on a bike. You know, you ride, you get up, ride your bike, finish. You have, you know, you camp, you talk to loads of cool people and you get up and do it again seven times. And it's, yeah. just, the, it's just the best fun ever. And, it, and it's different to bikepacking and self-sufficiency and sleeping in bus stops and all this kind of stuff. And um, I like a bit of, you know, a bit of both, really. But I think the, the scene has changed enormously, absolutely for the better. There are so many more events available. And, you know, there are many people who are realizing that women's relationship with doing these events, putting themselves out there, going and trying these things is very is very much different to men's. And we, we need different types of support to make make it a welcoming space. And things like the commute women's rallies are just absolutely phenomenal. And I love the fact that they've, you know, created these opportunities for women, these spaces for integration. And then they stopped them and said, right, now you've done this, you go and do the main event. And I think that's really, really important. So it's not about segregation and saying women need women's only things. It's about encouragement, support, fostering a sense of possibility 
and then integrating women into into mountain biking or, or whatever it is, you know, gravel biking more thoroughly, which I think is really special. So the, so the scene has changed enormously. I feel like being a woman on a bike, a woman cyclist now is so exciting. And you were saying women in your experience or, or through your research seem to need different things to sort of to, to be welcomed into that space. What kind of things, you know, do, do you think they need or have, have they said that they need? You know, this conversation is quite interesting because we are seamlessly moving between gravel biking <laughs> and bikepacking and mountain biking. And yeah. although, you know, that's how I see them, actually, they're very, very different worlds. And mountain biking and gravel biking have got um, invisible little lines drawn around them with rules written down um, or not written down. Um, and they are really different spaces. So I think, you know, gravel biking as a phenomenon, which includes bikepacking, gravel racing, gravel events, that's a very inclusive, inherently inclusive space that's been created at a point in history, which is very different. And we are much more aware of gender and other, you know, inequalities in sport and cycling, particularly cycling. Whereas mountain biking, that line drawn around mountain biking was drawn a long time ago in a different space and time. And so we're, you know, everybody is aware that we have work to do and there is still um, huge inequality in mountain biking. Some of the things that need to change are really ingrained and they're really difficult to change. So and I think so women coming into gravel biking, bikepacking, they ha- it's a different um, job to, to create support and inclusion in gravel biking and bikepacking than it is in mountain biking. Um, so I was I was speaking to the Red Bull um, hardline. Uh, well, actually, somebody writing about the Red Bull hardline and no woman's ever completed the event. This year, they have got a women's only kind of t- like taster session to get, you know, it's, it's still like the most elite, amazing riders in the world. But bringing them together and 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 in supporting them to ride the course and give them the best possible chance they've got to complete the course. So, you know, not all of us are going to be ever, ever be able to ride the Rebel Hardline. But, you know, the same thing applies, I think. Get women together and magic happens and they will feel supported and encouraged and actually progress way quicker than they would if we're, if we're, you know, trying to get women to integrate into a very, very male dominated space. It's interesting that you mentioned that because there was also Red Bull Formation, which was the women's camp um, that was put together to give more women the opportunity to get familiar with the terrain that we're more used to seeing guys ride for Red Bull Rampage, which is a crazy event. And it's amazing, like off the back of that, not just the riding, I mean, this kind of terrain is like, it's insane in the Utah desert. It's incredible. And the progression just in a few years within that, but also then the the cascade effect out from that, because then you started to see more event, free ride events for women happening in different countries. So we had in the UK, um, Evolve, Project Evolve got set up um, and just how that's had a massive impact. And now, I mean, again, I look out for this because I'm interested in it, but I feel like there's more and more, female free riders, women free riders out there and more opportunities and more coverage for them. So yeah, these ripple effects. It's really important. And our research found that, you know, women are frustrated by the narrow kind of representation of mountain biking in the media and in, you know, through, through brand marketing as well. Um, so on the one hand, you know, it'd be easy to argue that things like Red Bull Rampage or Formation or the Hardline weren't helpful, but actually they are. Because if if there's um, gender parity or, or at least women represented in those events, because everyone likes a hero and it's really important for us, um, for all sports, I think, to kind of look up to these phenomenal riders and go, wow, that's amazing. Like, I would never do that as nowhere in a million years. But isn't that amazing? Isn't that impressive? And we have that for so many other sports. We have it for other aspects of mountain biking. But the truth is that those those crazy Red Bull um associated events they're the ones that the the kids see on youtube and that are shared on instagram and so on so i've spent a lot of time doing this research project talking to teenage girls about what they think about mountain biking so these are girls who don't mountain bike but are kind of could um they live near trails or they they would have access potentially some of them had tried it a little bit and it wouldn't you, you wouldn't believe the number of them that that understood mountain biking to be red bull in some form it, you know, because my dad watches it or my brother likes it and, and they never see a woman in it. And so it, so it's, so they therefore assume that mountain biking is something that's really 
open at top level to men only, which is, of course, problematic. So it's really important to get women into those events and and show, you know, good representation of, of women, women of color, all types of people so that, you know, younger generations kind of can look up to these incredible heroes like they can in other sports and go, wow, you know, and it's possible. It's open to people like me. And I think that's that's so important. So let's backtrack a little bit then, just because I'm interested now in finding out how this research project kicked off. So you're interested in mountain biking and you work in a particular area of marketing. Now, I work in sort of the, the media side of biking. So for me, those two things make sense because there's a lot of like, you know, sort of media marketing around the sale of bikes. That's all connected. But how did that connect for you? It's a good question. So my, my um, official academic field is called social marketing. So my PhD is in social marketing. So my area of, of research interest has always been inequality and physical activity, not ne- not necessarily sport. So my PhD um, looked at social class and physical activity and trying to understand kind of in you know ingrained cultural differences in, in social class in the UK and relationships with physical activity. And I guess if you could boil down all of my research to one thing, it would be how people form relationships with physical activity or don't <laughs> or struggle. And so yeah. I went from looking, you know, being interested in social class to thinking about other types of inequality. So a lot of my research has been about women, but particularly mothers. You know, when I was pregnant with my third baby, I yeah. I was just I remember just thinking, how am I ever going to get my fitness back? I mean, fitness has been yeah. something that's been so important to me throughout my life. And I just thought, you know, I'm already stretched for time with two small children. I cannot physically I just cannot think about I can't figure out how I could possibly ever have time to do enough training um, to yeah. to be a good mother and hold down a job and and get my fitness back. And so I got really interested in motherhood and mothering and how, you know, the, the way that society, you know, the expectations of mother, mother on mothers now, mm-hmm. which has changed, which change, of course, you know, yeah. you know, we mothers these days are expected to do everything, be everything, look amazing, snap back into their pre baby genes, as the phrase goes, um, you know, straight away whilst, you know, being beautiful, having perfect hair and having a high flying job. You know, there's a lot of pressure and also being present all the time to care for your child. For years, I did a lot of research about motherhood and physical activity. And I, so I guess it wasn't a, a massive step then to think about gender more broadly and inequality yeah. looking at sport. Um, and why not look at, you know, action sport and, phys- and mountain biking? Because that's what I know. And, and it astonished me, actually, that, that this project kicked off with a bit of an argument with my now research collaborator, Barney Marsh, who writes for various, you know, mountain bike media outlets um, and is a science writer as well. Um, And he interviewed me about another project and we and we realized we had mountain biking in common and our paths had crossed in the past. And he said, well, the good thing is everything's changed now and it's all completely different. And there's so much more equality than when I was mountain bike racing, which was, you know, over 10 years ago. And I thought, has it? Has it really changed that much? So I dug into it. And of course, lots of things have changed. <laughs> lots and lots of things have changed. And um, I remember racing um, about, yeah, I must have been in my late 20s. I'm now 40, nearly 44. Um, and someone saying, wow, finding a woman who can ride like you is like finding a hen with teeth, quote unquote. <laughs> and it stayed with me. I yeah. thought, yeah, you're right. Actually, you know, there's hardly any women out there riding these long things. So things have changed because there are. There's loads of women riding yeah. there. Um, there's loads more opportunities. But we look at the figures um, and it's still very stubbornly 80-20. And that is not unusual across other action sports as well. So, you know, other outdoor kind of extreme action sport is also pretty much stubbornly 80-20. And you have, I have a conversation about my research with anyone from climbing or surfing or skateboarding. And they nod furiously and saying, oh, this you could take out mountain biking from everything you said and put in skateboarding and it would be exactly the same. Interesting. Are there any sports that buck that trend, that percentage trend? Well, sport is not all the same. So, you know, you look at cricket. I always talk about cricket because cricket, they've done a fantastic job of repackaging cricket and giving it back to us and saying, actually, 
we're not going to we're not going to accept the fact that cricket is a boys sport anymore we're going to remake it give it back to you as a as a, a sport for everybody women and men girls and boys and we're going to do that very purposefully at a policy level strategic level with a lot of marketing a lot of media activity and here you go and my children have no concept whatsoever that a couple of decades ago cricket was seen as a boys sport I mean that's really hopeful I remember at school like cricket was what boys played and girls played rounders Girls don't play um, rounders anymore, they play cricket. So, so there is hope, which is brilliant. But obviously, in order to hopefully move forward and find out what needs to happen, we need to know what the situation is and what yeah. the issues are. Because I, I feel like, so I've been in the, I guess, the, the journalism side of mountain bike and cycling for just over 10 years. Um, and I, I got into mountain biking and cycling quite late on as well. Um, my late 20s, I think it was, just through commuting in London. And, and then, you know, friend took me mountain biking. I was like, oh, this is a bit good, isn't it? And sort of I know that like what I've tr- tr- I've tried to do and other women I know that have tried to do working on various titles. So I used to work on a title called Total Women Cycling, which is sadly now defunct. We were kind of feeling our way. So we were just going by like what we thought and what we felt um, but then my background before that was science communication and public engagement. And it would be incomprehensible that you would start throwing content and resources out there without trying to find out what the lay of the land was, first of all, what people actually wanted. I'm really excited about the, this research that you're doing. How do you go about doing it and what have you found? That's a big question, I realise. Yeah, that is, that, that's the question. Um, so so what we've done, start with that one because that's fairly, that's easier. Yeah. We've we've probably, I think at last count, I think we've talked to um, or listened to, in fact, uh, around 75 women and teenage girls in Scotland, England and Wales. Um, most of those conversations have been interviews. We've done lots of gr- small group discussions with teenagers and um, for about 20 of those interviews, I with mountain bikers, I also went for a ride with uh, the women. And you get to know people very quickly when you ride with them, as you know. It's a fantastic yes. way of um, breaking the ice and, and you know sharing life stories as you're churning your way up the first hill. Those women included women who mountain bike, uh, women who cycle but do not mountain bike, and teenagers who don't mountain bike, and also actually teenagers who were trying mountain biking for the first time. And I've done what I call what we call um, reflexive thematic analysis. So we analyze the data. We got imagine every single conversation has been recorded, transcribed. And we've got this huge volume of data, huge array of data that we've analyzed and pulled out key themes that really kind of tell us a number of different stories about what's going on. So that's one side of the Research has been about understanding how the culture of mountain biking is understood, seen from the outside, how it feels when you're a woman in mountain biking. And this, I use this woolly phrase, the culture of mountain biking. But essentially, it's a marketplace ideology. It's a sport. It's a lifestyle. It's a recreational activity. It's consumption. As a consumption scholar, I would call it a, 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 you know, a consumption practice or set of consumption practices. And the marketplace, the marketing side and the media side are really, really influential in creating that world and shaping that culture in a way that either means people you know, women feel included, like they belong, that they can get stuck in, that they feel like this is my, these are my people, this is my world, or creates it in a way that makes them feel like they're not quite part of it and they need to, to find their own path. And that's what's happened really, is that the women we've spoken to, they love mountain biking, the ones who are are doing it. Pretty much all of them were recruited by men. They found their feet in it. They love the sport just as much as you and I, for all the same reasons that you and I love it. They absolutely think it's the best thing ever, which it is. But they feel like the marketplace and the consumer culture side just isn't quite ready for them. It's not there for them. It's very, it's still masculine. It's still male dominated and they don't feel at home. And so what's happened is that they're self-organizing. So women are coming into mountain biking, riding with other men. This is not about bashing men over the head and saying they're doing a terrible job. Pretty much everybody had lovely stories of wonderful men who'd supported them through their journey. They just felt like this this place wasn't where women belonged, essentially. And then you see, you know, women forming groups and collectives and self-organizing and creating WhatsApp groups and Facebook communities and coming together 
And then you get these amazing stories from women who say, when I discovered the women, then everything changed. There was a different energy. It resonated with me differently. I felt different about riding. I absolutely love it. I'm progressing faster than I ever thought thought possible. I feel comfortable. I feel like this. these are my people. And, you know, all that marketplace stuff that those kit reviews, those those, you know, articles, um, those magazine outlets, those websites, that those shops online, they're not for me. They're for the guys. Quote, unquote, no woman ever reads that stuff. Wow. Which is painful. And as I always say, when I talk, when I present the data, particularly to the industry, I say, I'm not saying this is necessarily fair because I know how much effort is going in by some people in, in the industry, on the marketing side, on the media side, to try and do different kinds of marketing media, different kinds of representation. I know that. I talk to these people. So it's not necessarily fair, but it is what women are saying to me. And I've got absolutely reams of data saying this. And it's not everybody's experience. It's qualitative research. It's not quantitative. It's not, you know, it's not kind of pretending to be generalizable to everybody. But this, you know, there was definite themes, patterns across the data. And so it's not a problem for the women who are already in mountain biking because they are... Once they're in, they're finding very welcoming spaces and places to ride, people to ride with. You know, nobody had a story of, of loneliness, of, of not being able to ride with other people. But yeah. then you look at the figures and you think, actually, we're still at this very stubborn 2080 yeah. and intersectional inequality. So, you know, most women who mountain bike are white. We still ha- are struggling to to encourage women from underrepresented groups um, into mountain biking. So. You know, it is important how it feels as a culture. And so there yeah. are things we can do. So the project has evolved from just talking to women who ride and um, women cyclists and teenage girls to um, engaging with a lot of the industry as well. We've had the most fantastic response from industry marketers and media, you know, experts, lots of men as well. So not just not just women, women and men who are very, very interested in this subject. They recognize there is work to do. They recognize there's a problem and they really want to work closely with our with our research team to understand what's going on. So, you know, absolute hats off to everybody we've engaged with. We've got an amazingly engaged um, steering group, stakeholder group, um, who we've been talking to from day one. And we are unpicking the industry side now and trying to work out how gender inequality continues to be locked in to the way that that mountain biking is represented in in marketing and media despite the efforts of some absolutely leading transformative brands who are trying to do really different things despite lots and lots of really really good work there is still this perception of of mountain biking that's that's problematic you're sort of talking about like getting the guys on board and that you know the reality is that most a a lot of the industry is made up still of guys i'd still say that it's male dominated so we need but we need everybody on but like if in order yeah. for this change to happen, one, we need as many people on board as possible to recognise that this is something that could be changed and should be changed and that here's, here's a way to change it, to have that sort of motivation and impetus. And also so that the work isn't just left up to the women again to do all the or make, yeah. make it change. Because that is something that I have experienced in the past in my time writing on titles is like oh this is a, a women's story. Aoife's the woman. She, you can write that story. And it's like, well, it doesn't have to be me. I mean, I'm happy to. I love talking about it. It's obviously something I'm passionate about. But then it always becomes this separate thing, like, oh, this is a women's cycling story or a women's bike. Let's give it to the woman on the team, rather than integrating that into maybe the whole sort of strategy of the site or the workload of the people on the site or magazine or publication. From other people I've spoken to, that's a fairly common experience, I think. Um, I was talking to somebody who had left the industry, the media side, and she said, I don't, and I was, one of the questions I asked was, you know, what do you think would create change? What would trigger, you know, things to really change and for, you know, the, the media um, site to view or treat women's mountain biking in the same way as a truly integrated subject? And her instinctual reaction was, oh, well, it won't, nothing will change until there are women in leadership positions right at the top of the food chain. And I thought, isn't that sad that this is something that has to be triggered by a woman? And, and we, we talked about it a bit further and she backtracked. So, yeah, you know, you're right, because I've spoken to loads of men who are really, really interested in this topic. And you don't need to be a, um, a woman to be a feminist. Right. You know, it's just about you know, understanding equality and organizing in a different yeah. way. So, but I do think at the moment there are, 
challenges with trying to create a culture in particularly on the media side, but I've seen it in the marketing side as well, um, a culture where um, people who work in these fields um, for mountain biking, and I'm sure it's the same for other sports, where they see their role in greater and grander terms than just the day job. And so, you know, as easy for me as an academic to step back, that's my job, right? To step back and see yeah. things, you know, more holistically. And I've got the, the <laughs> leisure to do this. But, you know, media and marketing are part of the way we come to understand the world. And so, yeah. but if your day job is writing bike reviews or bike testing, you don't necessarily see your job in terms of fostering a culture of inclusion in mountain biking. Your job is writing bike reviews. So I can yeah. understand why that feels a bit challenging. But ultimately, that's where we need to go because, you know, actually, you know, media titles and, and brand managers have a huge role to play in how we as a society come to understand who sport is for. And yeah. particularly in mountain, like with mountain biking, the reach of the organized competitive sport is lesser than it is with other sports. You know, with football, it's yeah. all about, you know, the leagues and the, the teams and the championships. And with mountain biking, yeah. it just isn't. There's a huge divide. Most people will never race a mountain bike. Um, yeah. or, and are no interest in doing and so. And have no interest in doing so. And that's absolutely fine. So in that way, we have to think about other ways that that culture is being shaped. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a real challenge because it's a big expectation to talk to a, a, you know, yeah. a journalist or, or, a, or a part-time freelance kit tester and say, oh, you've got a role to play in fostering equality in action sport. And they think, really? I'm just testing this pair of shoes. You know, <laughs> you know so it's tricky, I think. It feels like there needs to be a bit of a paradigm shift yeah, in mountain yeah. biking. And I just wish I just wish things were changing quicker. <laughs> no. And, but, you know, I, I think also it's, it's important to recognise where things are changing. I think I've been really um, impressed by some of the, the big brands activities. So the big, big mountain bike brands, particularly the brand sort of positioning coming out of the US. They are ahead of the game and, you know, fostering, you know, equality and challenging inequality are actually genuinely built into what people are doing. And that's really nice to see. There is a huge disparity yeah. and a huge difference in how brands tackle that but you can understand why big brands got much more flexibility and freedom and a much more yeah. kind of resilience to the ups and downs of the credit crunch and you know what's happening yeah. kind of in the in the economy but they you know it's nice to see them just investing in female ambassadors riding ambassadors and you know and having female mountain bike you know heroes sponsored by their brand and they're like well that's just no big deal that's just what we do that's how we roll it's the smaller brands i think that have the the challenge and they they do seem to still follow this very clear line which uh, you know these guidelines that are that are written into how mountain biking should feel and look and i've been told that you know there are ways that mountain bikes should look in product launches and and you know there are very few women who are able to make bikes look like that and you just think well that's very limited myopia uh, i i think yeah. about you know how how mountain biking and mountain bikes come to matter to people you know, I've got yeah. I've got a mountain bike now that I would have dreamt about having, you know, in my wildest dreams when I was in my 20s. And I always yeah. saw these middle aged idiots who, you know, who didn't weren't very fit and had these beautiful bikes. And I'm now the middle aged idiot with this beautiful bike. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I think I probably I definitely don't ride that bike in a way that it's that it should be. But what's what should about it? I love it. Makes me extremely happy. I go off and have a lot of wonderful adventures on it. And what's wrong with that? That's there's, that feels very authentic to me. I don't need to be doing a 10 foot gap. I jump. wonder if. <laughs> Oh God, which I will definitely never be doing. Or if I did it, it wouldn't end well and it certainly wouldn't end rubber side down. So, but yeah, this this seems to come back to as well, this kind of, so I know like road cycling has, and I know that they're much mocked, the rules. Um, yeah, and it yeah. feels like mountain biking, while it doesn't have them officially written down, has, you, you talked about that sort of line around the outside of it, certainly feels like to some extent there has been this like, this is mountain biking, this isn't mountain biking. Like, I, I mean, I've heard people say like, oh, you know, gravel biking's just mountain biking from like 20 years ago. And it's, you know, you don't need a, you don't need a gravel bike, you need a mountain bike. I've got both. I love both. I ride them in different yeah. ways. So they both make yeah. me very, very happy. Yeah. 
in yeah, different ways. And that's one of the things that I've loved about how things seem to be changing, particularly with some of these groups then coming through, like Sisters in the Wild, the New Forest Off Road Club. Mm. It's because it's like, it just takes all those unwritten kind of rules and assumptions, rolls them up, flings them out the yeah. window and goes, no, you ride yeah. how you want to ride. That's it. You yeah. ride whatever bike you want to ride. You ride in whatever kit you want to yeah. do. Yeah. You can go up hills. You can go down hills. You can do jumps if you want to. We're going to cheer you on and support you because yeah. mountain biking, riding, yeah. cycling is whatever you want it to be. Absolutely. I think so. I think what's really, particularly the New Forest Off Road Club, who are particularly interesting because they advertise the fact that they are offering matriarchal riding experiences which I think is really special because it shows that they are acknowledging understanding the rules that are inherently patriarchal actually and they are saying as you said we we'll, we know we understand the rules of mountain biking and we are yeah. going to take those rules and we're going to repackage them and we're going to call it something else it's off-road cycling and we're going to say this is a matriarchal riding experience that so everybody's welcome. And yeah. matriarchal or feminist organizing, it's all about, you know, non-hierarchical, different types of uh, systems and, and relationships that are flat, yeah. not hierarchical. So there are fewer rules. But you need, to know, you need to know what the rules are in order to screw them up yeah. and chuck them out the window. And I think yes. I, and one of the questions I've asked a lot of the industry people I've interviewed is, what about gravel biking, right? Gravel yeah. biking has built into it this ethos of inclusivity that's absolutely explicit. So you turn up to a gravel ride and it is explicit that you can turn up in a pair of Levi's or, you know, full Rafa kit, a skin suit. No one's going to laugh at you. You know, you, everything goes. And that is absolutely part of it. And the, you know, to a certain extent, the wilder and wackier, the better. Like it's, it's all about the inappropriate bike and the bike, none of the bikes are perfect. Like gravel bikes are not, never perfect, but they're, you know, they're yeah. jack of all trades, master of none. And that's kind of the, the, the perfect thing. And I've asked a lot of the industry about this, you know, how do we build in that ethos into mountain biking and, un, and try and use the tools of marketing to create this idea that actually anything does go because yeah. you realize that when you're in. So you realize yeah, when yeah. you when you're in mountain biking that actually they're a really nice bunch and you can actually ride your mountain bike in any way that you want and you don't have to do 10 foot gap jumps and you can have yeah. a tootle around the woods and a coffee with your friends and it's and and, and actually all of that is t- completely lovely and most mountain bikers are completely lovely but from the outside you would imagine that there would be you know there would be ways of doing it that were you know accepted and unaccepted and these sort of these tacit rules and that's because that's what's represented uh, often in, uh, in, yeah. in, in that cultural space. And so and most people said to me, oh, it's because it's a young sport. So gravel biking is a young sport and therefore it's got this freedom. And ma- mountain biking's got layers of baggage. And I think that's true. I think that's true. Yeah. You know, it's just, but I think we have control over that. We can do something about it. Obviously, if you compare mountain biking to something like road cycling, so mountain biking, I guess, kind of like 80s, 90s, kind of, well, maybe a bit earlier-ish, depending on which side of the Atlantic you're judging it from. Um, Whereas road cycling has hundreds of years of of, of background to it. So mountain biking is young, but it's not that young. So it's not as young as gravel biking. But do you think that sort of a lot of the people in it feel like it's, you know, has it taken some of it's like, yeah, we're young punk and outside the system, but taken Mm. that through, but that's also become something quite rigid within it as well. Mm. So that's like, you know... You can't tell us what to do because we're outside the system. I, I'm, yeah. You can't see me. I'm gesturing like I'm outside the system. I don't know what that mime looks like, but anyway. Yeah, uh, there's definitely... So man biking has got a very strong personality. It's, it's, it's the awkward person in the party who's got the really loud voice, who really knows their own <laughs> mind. He's probably had a little bit too much to drink, right? So that's, that's man biking. And, and he's wearing a plaid shirt. Definitely wearing a play shirt and knows and knows their own mind and doesn't like to be told what to do. Um, so some, you know, one of our um, really important collaborators on the project is British Cycling, whatever you might think of that. But they're they're very open to understanding how they can evolve and how they can learn from this research and bring women's boy, you know, authentic stories of mountain biking into ways of organising and supporting women to mountain bike. So that's yeah. the next stage of the project. And they, you know, we and we talk to British Cycling about it all the time, and they say the trouble is mountain bikers don't like British Cycling because they don't like being organised, and so we have to tread very lightly. So mountain biking 
absolutely has been fostered around this idea of, of you know, being slightly outside the system, not wanting to be told what to do. It's, de- it's, being, it's constructed a, a, around not being road biking, <laughs> essentially, which has got, also got a very strong personality. And so, so it might not be very old, but it's very ingrained. And it's, it's got a very rigid core. And it's, you know, it's interesting. That it, I feel like the marketplace and that those marketplace cultures and the, rep, the representation from marketing and media just isn't quite catching up. It's not running at the same pace as the doing of mountain biking itself. So there are a lot of women coming into mountain biking, thoroughly enjoying themselves, self-organizing, going off to, to women's only mountain bike festivals, women's only events, going and doing rallies, going and joining groups or setting up their own groups if they're not there. They're all over Instagram, yeah. they're, you know. And the, the, the marketplace is not going out and meeting those people head on and, and is not responding quick enough to those those people. And, it you know, it's bad business. You know, good. Yeah. <laughs> so good, you know, brands that are really transformative and really embracing the way women want to ride and women want to engage in mountain biking. They are opening their doors and going, tell us, teach us. We want to learn. We want to listen. What shall we do? And they are absolutely striving to recruit women to work with them so that they can they can tell authentic stories and build relationships with women because ultimately building relationships is the best way of, of fostering brand loyalty and therefore selling stuff and you know that that that's definitely one of their motivations and it's good business fair play so going back then to to the research and your your conversations with women what are the things that they were saying that they wanted you know what did they see that they liked what did they not see that they wanted to see what did they see that they absolutely hated like it's a long and complicated story but there's something simple you know starting with the simple is about simple representation women want to see women you know pretty much everybody i talked to i said so you know which magazines do you read or what websites do you look at and they sort of laughed and by the end of the the interviews with mountain bikers i actually sort of slightly felt foolish even asking the questions so it was in my interview guide wow. so i asked everybody the same question and i got <laughs> to that question i sort of slightly hung my head and mumbled it thinking i know what the answer is going to be um, yeah. And they just went, no one reads those magazines. And everybody had this story about, oh, yeah. So every morning, my boyfriend, husband will reach for their phone and they'll look at Pink Bike and they'll look at MBR and they'll look at, you know, whatever list lists of, uh, you know, mountain bike news outlets. And then occasionally they'd be like, oh, you should read this. This is interesting. And it would be, but I would never reach for it myself. That's not a place that I feel comfortable. And they all said, you know, you, you know, I used to flick through the magazines and see if there was a woman. There might have been a woman, but they're probably on the back page, you know. And I, and I always feel like slightly sad about that because I, you know, I know that that's moved on. <laughs> I know that that's yeah, changed. Yeah. And I know that there's many more women in the magazines now in ads, you know, featured in articles, writing articles. I know that. But it just takes, there's a lag in how, in those perceptions. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's something about representation. There was something about diversity of representation as well. I interviewed older women who just went, yeah. you know, there is never anyone my age in magazines. It's just yeah. never there. Um, even the young younger women don't feel represented. Non-white women. I, mean, I interviewed um, yeah. some women of colour. They just said, you know, you're absolutely no, no way that, you know, anyone who looks remotely like me is ever going to be in there so there's something very simple about that but actually it was a bit it was a bit more complicated in the sense that it was about diversity of of representation of ways of riding and so my fantastic collaborator martin who is a roadie he's a road cyclist and he's a historian of road cycling and so there's nothing he doesn't know about the history of road cycling um, particularly the French, you know, coming out of France. He um, and I talk a lot about storytelling and how really marketing yeah. and media is all about storytelling and how stories are so important for creating these understandings about the world for society. And how if you tell a very narrow story, that's what people buy into. And the narrow story that's yeah. being told about mountain biking is that it's only ridden in a high octane rowdy masculine competitive aggressive way um and women see that men see that i mean men i men i've talked to say yeah i don't ride like that and i can't connect with that but it doesn't matter because it's a male dominated sport women see that and go i don't belong i've got imposter syndrome i've got self-image incongruency i can't see myself as a mountain biker they apologize when you say, oh, are you a mountain biker? And they say, well, not really, even though I've just been for a mountain bike ride with them. 
and uh, and so on. So it it creates a problem. It creates a barrier. And what we want is for women to be to be you know recruited into mountain biking, find their feet, find their people, be able to ride, feel like it's totally open. That it's full of, you know, the world is full of possibilities. They can do whatever they like in whatever in whatever yeah. way they want and feel accepted. And like that's fine. That is genuinely fine. And that can be reinforced through media, not challenged by media representation. So that was the main so, thing, I think, was this narrow representation of how mountain biking is done. What's the solution then? I mean, I, I know that's that's basically the next stage of the project. Because this is like, it's not, this is no small... I mean, right. I can imagine that as soon as you start digging, there's just so much more that comes out. You mm. sort of open up caverns of information. Yes. So I'd say, I'd say there are kind of three main areas. Um, one is women working in the mountain bike uh, marketing and media uh, landscape. One of our close collaborators is the Bicycle Association and the fabulous Sally Middlemiss, who's obviously written this amazing report about gender inequality in in um in in the cycling industry generally and, and i'll pop a link yeah, up she, to that in the show notes as yeah. well so if anyone wants to have a look at that really beautifully presented uh, report and there are challenges you know there are lots of women working in the mountain bike industry but but still relatively few in comparison to men and, and not uh, that many in leadership positions so i think that's the more i talk to people working in in marketing and media in mountain biking that's a problem they you know the diversity of voices is always positive for business always yeah. there's loads of research yeah. about this and so i think that's problem problematic and if you have a woman in your team of 20 it there is a it, there will be a tendency to you know as you as your experience uh, ask the women to go and review the women's kit or the cover the women's event rather than yeah. really integrate mountain biking generally and, and gen, you know, remove gender from um, you know, the way that it's written about. So that's one thing that I think is really important. Another thing is yeah. um, to create more opportunities for women to ride together and support those opportunities. So our research, one of the stories, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, these stories come out of the research. And one of the stories is about women riding together and how that is that creates something really magical. Women love it. It gives them strength. It gives them empowerment. It enables them to recruit other women. So if you see a group of women riding on the trails or you see a group of women on Facebook who've ridden yes. together and you go, oh, that's my local woods. Yes. It, it makes it feel possible. Even if, you know, you're not quite there yet and you're still doing yes. triathlon or you're, you know, doing spin classes. And you think, actually, you know, I might give that a go at some point because I know it's there and I yes. know they're there and they ride regularly and I can just turn up at any point. And so where this has happened in the country, there are kind of enclaves of opportunity. And some of the women I interviewed drove from, you know, one, they lived in a place that had brilliant mountain bike trails and they drive for an yeah. hour and a half to somewhere with a women's group. And I'd say, wow. why don't you ride where you live? Yeah. And they sort of looked at me baffled and went, oh, because, you know, because of the group. So I know I can ride with other women in this group. So we need more places like that everywhere that the, yeah. the, the trail network, there should be a very highly visible women's group of mountain bikers that are fully supported. So we also yeah. came across a lot of opportunities, you know, a lot of uh, experiences where women told us that these groups were fragile. There was a bit of a group yeah. and it had fallen apart or one person led it and they you know, had a baby or broke their ankle or something and it fell apart. So that's why yeah. we're working with British Cycling to try and develop a kind of strategy for supporting more women's self-organised uh, groups um, that are highly visible and have built into what they do a way of recruiting women from underrepresented groups and, you know, yeah. sustainably. So, you know, yeah. supporting people through training um, in ways that is possible for them and so on. And then the third thing is is working with people in the current systems in marketing and media to yeah. foster a bit more reflexivity about gender in daily processes. Yeah. 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 What does that so mean we, when you when you say more reflexivity? <laughs> we don't know yet. <laughs> the answer. Ah. But we, we are hoping to develop some kind of toolkit to help brands, particularly smaller brands, go through a certain a set of steps to intervene at different points in the process to think about yeah. how they could change things in small ways that kind of yeah. enable them to do something a bit more transformative with their marketing, their brand positioning. And so, you know, that would be something that would help media and marketing 
and just interject a bit of, you know, gender transformative action into what people are doing. We would do that, totally co-create that with the industry. So we are not the experts. They are the experts, right? So we don't want a bunch of academics coming in and telling people how to do their jobs. (laughs) But we would create something with them. And and this is is an idea that actually came from our steering group of industry experts. Um, So we're hoping to work on this in the next stage as well, if we get the funding. (laughs) Watch this space. I mean, I really hope you get it because I think, I mean, Mm. obviously I, I... I love mountain biking. You love mountain biking, and I'm I'm really glad that the women who've who've discovered it and stuck with it, they've always been keen to share it. Like because you get passionate about it, and you I mean that's yeah. why. And it, what makes me, I guess, a bit sad at the moment with that eighty twenty and and sort of some of the outcome of the research that you've said is that this sport that we know when you're in it is wonderful and welcoming for the most part, and. You that it, it looks like you can't come in from the outside is is so sad. It's so sad. It's really, really sad. And it's, it's for me, it's beyond that um, because yeah. that slightly assumes that there's people, clamor- women clamoring to get into mountain biking who can't. What makes me even more sad is that it, yeah. it becomes embedded, ingrained in society. And that takes, that's much harder to fix. So, you yeah. know, so I, you mentioned earlier on that I run a, a kids mountain bike club and yeah. we are actually getting there with gender equality, which has been amazing. This, the last, probably the last six months, we've really seen a, a, a change. But for the first, you know, four years of the club, I would open the club email account and there'd be an email from probably a dad, sometimes a mum, but often a dad saying, my son loves mountain biking. Can they join the club? I'm like, yeah, of course, definitely. You know, bring them along yeah. next club. And then the boy turns up and rides and then there's a little girl waving from the side. And I say, oh, is that your sister? Yeah. And, uh, d- you know, are they going to join? Are they going to, they up, you know, do they want to join the club and come mountain biking? Oh, they don't really like it. And this happens so often. So obviously some people are just not going to like mountain biking. I'm not suggesting. I mean, they are mad because it is the finest, one, yeah. the most wonderful sport in the world. But, <laughs> you know, they are, people have a right to not like it. Um, that's not really the point. The point is that these gendered societal yeah. ideals become embedded in and absolutely ingrained. And then it goes beyond taste. It goes beyond uh, choice. And it becomes yeah. embedded in your kind of worldview. So mountain biking yeah. is, you know, one thing, but my PhD was all about this and physical activity yeah. becomes something that you just don't do in some yeah. walks of life. It's just the weirdest thing in the world. And you have this, you know, disposition towards it and you can't, it's not a, ma- a matter of wanting to do it or not wanting to do it or having the opportunities or not having the opportunity. Yeah. It's just ingrained that it's just yeah. the weirdest thing in the world. And so that worries me more is that we need to fight against gender inequality in sport so that women and girls have possibility and opportunity, whether or not they do it, that's up to them. It's about fostering gender-free norms of sport. And sport is not has not been a place that girls and women feel uh, belong. they belong in, a, in yeah. lots of other sports. And, and, you know, we are taking this at a policy level in hand. And I think action sport is, we, we've got extra work to do. Interesting. What do you think that is? Is it just because of the nature of the sport, the, the way that you don't have, I mean, like so cricket and football are in a specific location with a specific governing body that ever, you know, a specific set of rules, a specific marketing budget, a specific event, you know, competitive series, whereas snowboarding or mountain biking or climbing are kind of like lots of different things, lots of people lots of different people in lots of different places. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's got a lot to do with it. The the less governed a sport is, the more runaway it is. It's got its own rules and it's much more organic. And if you think about netball, hockey, cricket, football, they're done in school. So the government says these are the sports that, that kids will do and kids build a relationship with that sport from day one and they understand it's it's a normal thing to do it's a normal part of life so you know you can see school has a huge part to play in kids yeah. relationship with sport and obviously things have changed a lot you know when i was a kid boys played cricket girls did not we didn't have a gym and now most of the teenagers i've interviewed as part of this project go to the gym they take themselves off they that being keeping fit and staying fit and healthy is part of who they are mountain biking does not get done as part of school and nor does surfing yeah. and nor, wouldn't that be cool um nor does snowboarding really 
And so your family and your friends are your most important influence. So gender particularly gets locked in because who is it that introduces you to a sport like that? Your dad or your brother. And so so you don't, so female role models are really important. Getting mums mountain biking is so important. So one of the things we've done with the club, um, Bristol Shredders in Bristol, uh, the kids club, is we have two two rides a month. One is for no parents. We call it a spoke ride. Send parents off kids exclusive. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, they're, and they're great and kids ride in you know, there's three different experience levels they ride together and they get a lot out of they learn a lot from riding yeah. together but then we also have hub rides and the hub rides are family rides and they are rammed every single month and a lot of those a lot of the reason that those rides are so popular is because of the parents so it, it's sometimes the dads don't really know where the trails are or haven't ridden or don't really know how to get their kids excited about mountain biking and often the mum hasn't ridden a bike for a decade and has got a shopping bike and we have we were very lucky to get British Cycling Grant so we have bikes available now mountain bikes available so we can kit people out and we say they say I'm not sure I can ride with my three-year-old and I'm like trust me you can we do four kilometers very slowly with a lot of Haribo stops you'll be fine (laughs) (laughs) and they love it and they're like wow I didn't realise that it was this much fun. I'm like, yes, I've been telling you this is the greatest sport ever. Um, and so we actually, so it's about, and they, so those kids coming through the club, it's not about them learning to do massive drop-offs or, you know, progress to, you know, racing. They can if they want. It's about actually fostering role models and particularly their mums as role models. And we have so many girls now who ride with the club. It's yes. amazing. You should come Oh, I'd love to. I'm I'm a bit far away now, but if I I will be down in Bristol, and I would definitely love to come for a yeah. ride because that sounds like a lot of a lot of fun. What advice then would you give then to families wanting to go out riding if they've maybe not done it for a while, or you know the kids are into it, but the grown ups haven't done it for a while, or vice versa? Rent a bike. So you know it does it does make such a difference i set the club up with ollie kane at pedal progression which is yeah. bike rental at ashton court mountain bike rental and also skills coaching in bristol we should um, point out as well for Brist- anyone who's yeah. Yeah. listening in elsewhere bristol. in the country and you know he has a fleet of you know really good you know not top of the range but just solid good good quality white um mountain bikes uh, and it just makes all the difference. So we often have um, parents come along on a kind of shopping bike and you can just about do the trails on a kind of hybrid, but it's pretty unpleasant. And then they we yeah. say, well, why don't you try this hardtail? And they, they just come back with massive grin on their you know faces. So I think a lot of it's that. And there are, you know, Forest of Dean, they have the same setup. You can rent a bike. It does make a huge difference just having a comfortable yeah. bike that's not going to kill your bum and your back and your hands and everything. So just making sure it's fun you know there are lots of resources out there to to help you plan a route that's appropriate and it always amazes me parents come to Ashton Court and they go I took my four-year-old round the whole trail and I'm thinking oh lordy that's uh that's quite intense (laughs) you know so we just do a tiny little bit of it that avoids the climbs and you know then we know where the bumpy bits are so (laughs) we avoid those you know just keeping it fun rather than you know it doesn't have to be a suffer fest also plenty of haribo stops as you mentioned plenty of haribo stops and cakes at the end generally does the trick (laughs) i mean i feel like that's a recipe for just good mountain biking experiences generally life life. life. i love it see i knew mountain biking could tell me what i needed from life haribo and cake stops fee it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you we could talk about this forever and um, i would love to talk to you um a bit further down the line when maybe you've sort of done some more research or if we do a session that's maybe a bit more focused around some of the topics it'd be great to have you on board for that um what's next for you either for the rest of this year both in terms of research or in terms of your own personal adventures because you've just got back from like cycling across wales as you do as you do yeah just did the Wales Duro which was super fun and for some fairly unknown reason we decided to do it non-stop rather than camp you you know I I got off the train in Bangor on Saturday morning and Sunday morning arrived in Cardiff and jumped on the train came back to Bristol it's phenomenal what your bike is capable of doing Um, so next for me is Ardrock next weekend um, which is great fun Uh, and actually is relevant because I um, have been offered a place in Ardrock and had no plans to do it but I was interested in seeing what it was like and so looked at the website 
And I was surprised at uh, the lack of women in any photographs on the website. So I, you know, being me and, you know, a sort of academic activist, I emailed a polite email and said, you know, you might want to think about about, about this and had a very uh, immediate and supportive response back straight away saying, you know, thank you for your comment. We really appreciate it, which is often you know, normally the response I get. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. You know, this is definitely something we need to think about. And would you like to come and ride Ard Rock? Exciting. At which point my stomach dropped and I thought, oh, Lordy, <laughs> where are my pads? And do I have a full face helmet? Or do I, know? I haven't, it's not, it's a bit out of my comfort zone. So, um, so I thought, you know what, I'll go and have an experience up at Ard Rock yeah. and try something a bit different. So, and then the rest of the year is finishing off some of the interviews with uh, industry experts in mountain biking and starting writing for academic audiences, as well as continuing, um, you know, our engagement work and trying to, you know, share our findings with as many people as possible, running workshops with brands, um, industry um, groups and so on. Um, and also we're starting our um, the next stage of the project with British Cycling and developing this strategy, supporting women to come together and, and, and create women's um, matriarchal experiences on <laughs> man bikes, women's man bike groups, which is going to be fantastic. I'm really looking forward to that busy year and I uh, look forward to following everything that you're up to. I'll put all the links to uh, the various pieces of research that you've been conducting and that you've mentioned in the show notes so if anybody wants to follow up with that. Um, so Fee, thank you so much for joining us for a chat today. Thank you for the research that you're doing um, and we can't wait to uh, to find out, find out more <laughs> and see what changes can be made. Thank you. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Spindrift podcast and I hope you enjoyed my chat with Dr Fiona Spotswood. As usual, I'll pop up the links to the research she mentions in the show notes on the Spindrift podcast website. If you enjoyed the episode, I would absolutely love it if you'd consider leaving a rating or a comment. They really help us reach more people and I appreciate and read every single one. Until next time, happy riding. Yeah.